0: I'm back and I have an amazing conversation to be had this week. My guest is Susan Gold. And Susan grew up in rural Pennsylvania, desperate to get to New York City. And as somebody who grew up in Massachusetts, I understand that completely. (laughs) I know, know just what that's like. I had a lot of friends who were desperate to get to New York City. Susan departed her chaotic family home the morning after high school graduation. She made her way to New York City working at ICM, a large global talent agency. And she became known for attaching celebrities to brands before it was chic. That skill led her to Los Angeles, where she met her greatest guru, the man that would become her ex-husband. She's learned to step into her power after eons of hiding behind it. After decades living in two of the world's largest cities, Susan heeded an internal call and now resides in rural Montana, enjoying the expansiveness of nature, helping others ferret their way through difficulties and trauma that she's transformed. Susan, welcome. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Wow, Jen, that was such a beautiful intro. And I feel really excited to be here because there have been so many other guests that have preceded me that have been so incredible with their Uh accomplishments and their knowledge and their wisdom and the way that you are leading the conversations is so impactful. So thank Uh you for all the content you're producing.
0: Oh, Susan, thank you so much. I appreciate that so much. I mean, my, my desire with this podcast Is to shed light on what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, but also to really bring out the depth of my guest stories and to hear like, I just love it because I get to hear your stories. And I mean, I'm already just reading this and I'm like, oh, my God, you left your family the morning after high school graduation, I actually graduated a year early from high school to get out of my family situation. My And and the funny thing is, it was more for me, it wasn't my family that I was getting out of. It was my town. And just being such a weird kid in a really vanilla environment, it it just wasn't working. But I, uh, I left, I basically, the first time I left home, I was 17. So I can really relate to that. Like, yeah, I'm out of here. Bye bye as soon as you can so let's start at the very beginning let's go back you know obviously the choice to leave your family right after high school graduation that's probably like there's some stuff there Shall we start at the very beginning like what was it like being a sensitive kid did you know you were a sensitive kid I'm just going to open it up you talk you talk tell me I think that I knew something was definitely awry
1: in that household system. And I was picking up things that I knew some of my brothers and certainly my sister were not. So, and I didn't feel at home really anywhere within the school system, within, you know, my religious upbringing, you know, within the culture. I would watch Barbara Walters on my beanbag chair in the basement, on my belly, just praying and wishing I could get to New York City somehow and be somewhat like Barbara Walters. And here's the power of empathic manifestation. I actually did make it to New York, as you implied in the intro, and I was working at ICM not making enough money. So I trained as an exercise trainer on the side. And Barbara Walters became one of my exercise clients.
0: Oh my goodness. That's amazing. How cool is that? She was
1: an intuitive, just like us. And she was incredibly, uh-huh. incredibly supportive of other women. And she was a great interviewer. One one morning when I rang her bell at 7am, she took one look at me and she said, Susan, get in here. What's going on? And she got it out of me within moments. I'd been sexually harassed in the workplace the day before and it kicked up so much shame and PTSD. And she said, I'm coming to work with you this morning, we're going to confront this man together.
0: (laughs) As you're saying this about her intuitive ability, of course, she was intuitive. I mean, she was such spectacular interviewer. And, And there's definitely like that ability to just kind of read between the lines, I think is what what makes the difference between somebody who's just kind of asking the questions and somebody who's really like pulling out the threads and stuff like that. So that's so amazing that you got to connect with her. So she comes with you. So you got mama bear with you and you're going to (laughs) go into work. I actually told her, no, Barbara, it's okay.
1: I'm going to handle it myself. And I confronted the gentleman and he promptly fired me. I think I had two and a half months of cash in the bank. I was newly sober and I had just extricated myself from an abusive relationship where the man held the purse strings. I'm embarrassed to say. And I decided that I wanted to launch my own brokerage firm. Barbara even offered me an assistantship with her then fiance, Merv Adelson, who was heading up a film distribution company. And I said, I'm so sorry, I I can't be an assistant anymore. I can feel that. And um, somehow was matched with Donnie Deutsch, who's a host and an entrepreneur and an iconic figure. Back then, he was running his dad's ad agency. And he asked me, can you get me Andy Warhol for Pontiac? I'm like, let me try. (laughs) So I ended up, Jen, knocking on the door of the factory. I couldn't get anybody to answer the phone. And Fred, Andy's business manager, answered the door. I explained why I was there. He said, come back tomorrow at the same time. And I'll let you talk to Andy. So I showed up and waited and waited. And then the double doors to Andy's studio opened. It was pitch black in the room. And there was a pin spotlight coming down on Andy's platinum hair going 17 different directions. He was scribbling intensely and three pugs, you know, those little dogs with the smooshed up faces. Oh, Oh, no,
0: I know pugs. I know pugs. We are pug rescue enthusiasts and we have, there is a, our fifth rescue pug is sleeping at my feet right now. So three pugs. I had no idea that Andy Warhol was a pug person.
1: Totally. Yes, totally. And he didn't care why I was there, even though I went on and on yammering. He wanted... To pay attention to those pups. And I could read it. I could read his emotion. I could feel his isolation. I could sense his desire for connection, authentic connection and attention and acknowledgement to feel alive. So finally, he looked up and it was the first time he made direct eye contact, Jen. And he said, now, why should I do this commercial? And I said, because you can have the pugs in the shot with you. He left that idea. He he looked at the pugs and he looked at me and he's like, I'll do it.
0: (laughs) Pugs to the rescue. Oh, my goodness. What an amazing story. Now, I'm imagining when, like, timeline was, was this like early 80s? Was this? It was, yeah, it was smack in the middle of the 80s. Yeah. And I
1: was grateful that I had come out of the home that I did because growing up there, I was in perfect position to garner skill in my intuitive. Abilities to stay safe. My dad's a genius astrophysicist, and my mother was equally as genius, but it was chaotic and they were riddled with addiction and they were carrying the shame and guilt of their own ancestry. Yeah. And so it was hurt and damaged children, Mm -hmm. raising hurt and damaged children. Yes. And my siblings and I all have a very different experience of what it was like to grow up in that home. Mm -hmm. But I could read the energy of anyone in the same room and actually could read the full sentences of thoughts. And when that came out, it wasn't quite appreciated by the adults. Right. Right. So I shuddered all of that. Until well in adulthood, I always knew Mm -hmm. that there was a unique sensitivity, but I thought everybody had it. I didn't know it was special and it served me just like it did in that room with Andy and continued to serve me. I think it wasn't honestly, Jen, until I took an online course during COVID and I really woke up to my ability, even mm-hmm. though others had told me, I didn't really get it to yeah. a poor level. Yeah. And now with the frequencies and the energy and the vibration raising, it's becoming more and more clear.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you talk about something that I think many of us experience, which is that we imagine or assume that everybody has this sensitivity, that everybody has this capacity to perceive things and to pick things up. And I know for myself that when I was younger, and if I was having a really difficult day, or I was in a really hard, you know, feeling, just feeling lousy, I would be really worried that even if I didn't say anything about it, my mood would like impact and affect other people because I was so deeply impacted and affected by other people. And it took me in well into my adulthood to realize that most people don't know this. Most people can't read the cues and don't necessarily aren't necessarily picking up that stuff. And you got to tell them if something is going on. And that was kind of revelatory that when I realized, oh, not everybody is aware of all of this stuff the same way. And even as you were speaking about how coming from a family, every sibling interpreted or experienced your childhood and your family of origin in a different way. I definitely this is not the first time I've heard that story.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's quite normal. I think what's really helped me, though, and healing is to really come to the belief that I entered the most perfect classroom. I could not have created a better playbook or yeah. scenery or set the stage yeah. more suited for soul evolution. I think maybe next time I'll check out the fine print in the agreement a little closer before I enter in. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah, so so perfect. And I'm so grateful for the roles everyone has played.
0: Yeah. Well, I my personal theory about like um the choice to be born into a particular life is that it's kind of like looking at a course catalog. You can read the description of a course <laughs> as much as you want and be like, oh, I really want to learn that. It looks really interesting. That's gonna be really awesome. There's a really big difference between thinking the theory of what you're going to learn and then being immersed in it with the professor that has a quirky personality or is, you know, a difficult person or something and then like just the slog through it. So I don't know, like I'm like, even when we do read the fine print, it's still kind of like, this is not what I was expecting. And I love how you are recognizing it as like this prepared you, it gave you all of the tools that you needed to be where you are today. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I did. I, I did not think this was going to be my trajectory. I certainly didn't know I even had a book inside me, let alone the three that I've been told I had to write. I think the first time was 2007. And an mm-hmm. Irish seer told me, you have a book to write. It's going to help people. And I just shoved that under the closest carpet I could find. I wanted nothing to do with writing a book, right? And then 2019, <laughs> 2020, two intuitives back to back. And the third intuitive said, you have three books to write. And I was like, oh, before this becomes some dreaded library, <laughs> I'm going to get going.
0: Well, and it's like, I, it, it, there's something about the way that the spirit works is like, you know, They're like, Hey, we got, we, you got a book to write. And you're like, Oh my God, no. And so you finally are like, okay, fine. Twist my arm. I'll write the book. You write the book. And then it's like a little while after that, they go, Hey, guess what? You got more books to write. So (laughs) it's like, it's like, if you agree to do the first one, then they're like, sucker, we're going to let you write more books now. Obviously. I mean, the journey to writing a book is an incredible journey saying yes to that book like how did you how did you go there how did you you know like what was that experience like for you to just commit to the writing well
1: a lot like you just suggested i resigned to it and really it was i did not want more than 3 books to write cuz i'm a, you know i'm a good student and i'll show up for the teacher <laughs> but It was a little cold and it was a great experience to go to because I would show up at the computer for 15 minutes a day, whether Mm. I had something to write or not. And I think looking back, yes, it got the first pass at the manuscript done, but I didn't feel connected to it. I don't really understand doing something from a place of joy or feeling like that would be fun. That's been a re-education for me. So anyway, I did get the first pass at the manuscript down that way, but then a wise mentor said, hey, why don't you go back and take another pass from little Susie's point of view? Mm -hmm. The one in your heart that's walked through all of this with you. And Jen, though the black and white of the manuscript didn't really change that much, my connection did. And that's when I felt, yes, I have something that's an activation. It's magical and it's meant to come out. And it was not easy. I mean, this is my book title is toxic family. Mm. Transforming childhood trauma into Adult freedom and toxic family was not my title. It was my publisher's title. My original title was magical illumination because that's what I feel it's been to take right. this walk. Right. So right. here I am creating conversation around such a taboo topic. Yeah. And it's like sacrilege. You know, I didn't want to throw my family under the bus. Right. right? This is the truth of the story, and this is who will be attracted to read it: those yeah. that are grabbed by that toxic
0: family title. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I mean, this is where I think that the publishers, the wisdom of the publishers. Uh, one thing I learned after publishing Empathic Mastery was that the title of a book is your fundamental SEO keywords. And so whatever words you're using is what people are going to find. And if I honestly, if I had known that I would have used the word empath instead of empathic, because of the fact that the word empathic creates it has a different understanding than the word empath does. So I get your publisher's choice to call it toxic family, because that's speaking directly to what people are struggling with and what they're going to be looking for that support around. How, so how was it you were sort of saying, you know, total taboo to like out the family secrets to talk about the you know, that that toxic festering underbelly that is going on in a family system. What was that like to write a book? About Toxic Family. How did your family respond? How did your siblings respond? Were your parents alive when this came out? My father's alive. Yeah.
1: And I told them all, you know, I was writing a book and left it to them to ask. And no one really asked for s- specifics. They just assumed it would have something to do with, you know, the celebrity branding I did and the work as a producer. And who knew? And The closer it came to coming out, especially when the title shifted, the more airless I got in stepping up to the plate. And I was reassured multiple times in multiple ways. Yes, this is the book. Yes, you are to publish this book. But it's a different thing when you're dealing directly with your family. So the first person I told was my sister and she paused and I thought, "Uh oh, and she said, you know what? We've all had our, our experiences in that family. And she actually, she did read it. She said, once she got through college, she was riveted. She couldn't put the book down and she had Mm. no idea I had been in pain the way that I had been in pain. My oldest brother who I have abuse with abuse issues and his childhood is almost completely blacked out. Mm -hmm, It's almost mm -hmm. like he has amnesia because the trauma was so great. And he's never had or taken the opportunity to address it. His construct was torn apart. Mm. Um, And that was painful. Yeah. And we had a conversation and it, there was so much love, Jen, in that conversation. And he was apologetic. And I didn't feel the need for the apology because I, you know, I've done decades of work and walked through this. Yeah. And now he's having the opportunity to examine his walk on this earth. And my God, that is beauty.
0: I just got um, chills and tears in my eyes. What a miracle. So we're all going to be
1: getting together
0: at the beach later this summer and um, we'll
1: spend a week together. And it's the first time since the book has been published. I think there's going to be opportunities for authentic healing. I'm trying to keep my expectations minimal, but yeah, I just want to thank, you know, my divine team and my guardian angel and... Michael, for walking me through this.
0: Mm, Yeah. mm. I keep on thinking about my friend, my dear friend Chris Ferraro, who's written a a number of books. She had posted on Instagram the other day this picture of like, it was like, I can't, of Anakin, and I can't think of of the name of the mother of Luke and Leia right off the top of my head, but it's like a just, you know, a picture from Star Wars. It starts out with like this just sort of this Anakin just kind of having a face and her going, you know, you're going to read my book, you know, or or I'm so excited, you know, you're going to read my book. And then, or something like I'm writing my book. And he's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And the second thing is like, you're going to read it, right? (laughs) It's like, he's not even, and he's just like, no. And it's just really striking to me how I'm just impressed that your sister read your book. (laughs) Because it's funny how often like we're so afraid of what our parents are going to think or our family members are going to think and then it's like, you're just like, hey, here's my book. And they're like, oh, okay, and it goes on a shelf and it just stays there. So I'm really really glad that this has been a vehicle for healing in your family. That's just a remarkable and wonderful. Yeah, it's been yeah.
1: it's been a gift and the big gift is it's been healing others, strangers that I yeah. hardly know.
0: So Yeah. Yeah. Um let's talk about healing toxic family. Like let's let's open it up.
1: Well, I think that that's been a carefully constructed compartment in our society and it's It's quite the taboo not to engage. And I feel like we're all a bit of Robert De Niro in the mission. And we're walking through life with this big bag of concrete crap that doesn't belong to us. We don't need. It's not ours. And we have no idea. We're carrying guilt and shame deep in our ancestry that does not even belong. Yeah. So... That was part of the point and purpose. And then to see all of this from new perspective. So the moss and the gunk under the boulder ain't so ugly after all. It's Mm. actually possible that it's a gift. Mm -hmm. And if you can see it from that perspective and understand this is your consciousness rising. I mean, for me to have a conversation with my brother and feel pure and utter love from my heart. And it was a violent relationship. That's huge. And I feel like that is where we're going as, as a global
0: humanity. Yes. 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 Susan, something that comes to my mind as you're speaking is I can tell from listening to you that you have done the work and that you have really healed things to the point where you are sincerely and genuinely feeling love and gratitude for this. I've also seen people who try to bypass the healing and go straight for the love and the gratitude. And, um, I don't know if that's something that you're, you've witnessed or are familiar with, but I was wondering if you might speak to just like, like the journey to get to that place without necessarily you sort of like, you didn't go, it's sort of the opposite of go directly to jail. Don't collect $200. It's like go directly to, to go and collect $200 instead of moving through the process of just going through the trials and the tribulations and the ordeals.
1: And though it doesn't have to be this for me was an unveiling that took decades. I mean, and I faced alcoholism and addiction. I faced clinical depression and then ultimately narcissistic abuse. And all of the work that I did around these areas um, all contributed to me being able to walk through, I think if there was a three year period where I I did not communicate with my mother, and I kept myself at a distance from my father, until I could really find the modalities. And initially, Jen, it was talk therapy. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate the storyline that that laid down for me. Yes. But ultimately, what I found to be healing is work like you do with yeah. EFT, the somatic work yes. going into my body and exploring the pockets of trauma and seeing the textures and the timing. Is it, is it current? Was it past? Was it ancient? Yeah. And then the, the textures and then expanding that and replacing it with light has been profoundly responsible for my being able to walk on this earth. I don't need to go into detail. It's all in the book, but I have walked through fire and I've come out to thrive. And a big piece of it is the willingness to stand up and then to dive deep and explore it and give myself the permission to do it and the strength. And I feel that has been my purpose here on earth. I mean, it's, it's lovely and it's fun to hear about my successful career as, you know, a television and film producer and all the great stories I have. But this is my mission. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm here to clear these toxic bloodlines to get the conversation
0: going. You said, I just, when you talked about you walked through fire, but before that you spoke about just like this transmuting into light. And I was just thinking it's like the fire is like the seed or is the precursor to the light. And here you are sharing this spectacular light. I mean, it's obvious you've had an incredible willingness to go back down the lines and look at the things that people have not wanted to look at for generations and here we are
1: and going going into it to your point earlier going into it and diving and yeah. and allowing at the space allowing your being the expansiveness of that exploration yeah get a friend's hand get support but yeah. Absolutely. I am so free now from confines that just
0: had me chasing my tail. Mm -hmm. A thought that just came to my mind as you just said that you are so free. Do you think that your earlier success, I know that for a lot of people who are really successful and really driven, when you start learning about their story, often it's like the success is almost the antidote or the validation and the approval that they never got when they were younger. Do you think that the toxicity of your family was almost one of the motivators or the dry, uh, driving force for you to be so successful?
1: Oh my gosh, yes. I wanted to prove merit at every cost. And that price of finding esteem from the outside in yeah, was so detrimental. I mean, I even went into, not only did I have this glittery career, I was an endurance athlete. I was mm. marathoning, I was triathloning. And then when I couldn't triathlon anymore, I focused on master swimming and got a ranking within a national ranking within four years because wow. I wanted that approval from the yeah. outside in. I was in an a narcissistic marriage for much longer than I may have been because of the codependence locked inside and that need for external approval to the inside. So Yeah. yeah, facing all those false personas and letting them slide and then opening, doing the work that is excruciating. I am not going to lie. Yeah. It's yeah, not yeah. for the
0: faint of heart. No, it's not for the faint of heart. And so, Susan, I'd love to, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, I mean, we're talking about this and we're talking about it on the other side of it. For somebody who is in the excruciating, for somebody who is in that period where it's just like, just in the slog, what words of wisdom, hope, advice would you offer. Well,
1: you're not alone. We are in this absolutely together and there is someone that has had similar or even worse experience than you are experiencing now. So please hold on for the miracle because it will come. And this is from someone I my first suicidal ideation, I was 6 years old. Mm. I was in front of the kitchen cabinet where we kept the pots and pans and the knives and the block. And I took the knife out and surveyed the blade and thought, if I could just thrust this through my little heart, all this would be over. So we can get through it together. And there is hope. And there's never been more help demonstrated than there is now, both traditional and, you know exceptional
0: yeah. Yeah. And yeah tools yeah I have two questions or one observation and a question um the observation is you spoke about how you started with talk therapy and I also started with talk therapy and I think there's great value in being able to just narrate the story and get it out especially to just make sense of it and to try to understand it if you have a good therapist who's not necessarily just enabling like just you know recapitulating the misery over and over again And I also had the exact same experience of there came a point where it only got me so far and the somatic work became necessary. I had to find tools that involved the energy body that involved the, you know, just the the nervous system that helped to change things because talking alone just it's really important, but it doesn't do all the things. That said, what I'm wondering is... What I mean, we're talking about the fact that there is help out there, and that there are some spectacular facilitators the spectacular mentors and healers and, and guides and people in the world to support us. What advice do you have for people who are like, I know I need help, but I don't really know where or how to find it? What would you suggest?
1: So for me, what I did was I asked my team, hey, I need help. It's pretty hard down here and watched for the signs. And I'd say something to a trusted friend and they would provide another breadcrumb. I mean, initially. I was in my early 20s seeing the same red flags come up that were demonstrated in my home. I knew something was wrong. I asked a friend for help. She gave me the card of a therapist. Back then, I w- you know, you don't go to a therapist and tell them your problems and pay for it on time. Right, right. But... But I was willing to go to any length because the pain was so bad. And I walked into that gentleman's office and I said, my life is out of control and completely unmanageable. And he immediately was there alcoholism in my family? How much did my father drink? How much do you drink when you're in treatment with me? You don't drink. And I'm like, look, I've got big problems. I don't know what this has to do with anything, but I'm willing to do it. And he said, go to meetings, check out your dad's drinking problem, and then also go to meetings where you can learn about what it's like to grow up in a system where there's addicts at the helm. And that truly set the table for me to be able to do the work that was going to be necessary for me to thrive on the planet. So there is hope and there is help. If you want a conversation with me, hit me up after this podcast. The link will be in the description box. I'd love to have a conversation with you and help.
0: Well, and just for, since somebody's listening, um, website, way to reach you.
1: Oh, sure. It's susangold.us. Everything is there. And the book is at Amazon and all the regular places. I'm not one to sell services. I'm one that knows those that are meant to come will come on their own exactly. Um, there is a workbook in the back of the book. That's the same exercises that have helped me walk through some of this. And mm-hmm. um, it is helping others.
0: So when you mentioned team, I was like, hmm, what kind of team are you talking about? Are you talking about a human team? Or are you talking about a spirit team? Or are you talking about a combination of all of the above? I
1: have both. Um, yeah, I went through a really strenuous divorce in the last two months, I was was feeling that suicidal impulse come up again. So I assigned a friend for each day of the week and I checked in with one that assigned friend. And Mm -hmm. if they didn't pick up and I felt suicidal, I guaranteed on the voicemail that I would call the next person, that I was feeling suicidal and I would call the next person on the list until I got someone. And that led me through by a string to the last portions of that experience. So that kind of team has been essential for me when times have gotten really tough. And as a sensitive and as a super empath, we all know it can be even intensified tenfold. Absolutely. Um, And then as far as the other team, that's a team from the other side. You know, I had a beautiful Bernese mountain dog who graced me here not long enough, eight years, two months and two days. And I feel him, I feel others. And then, you know, guardian angels and all the angel community. And then people like you broadcasting podcasts with hopeful information.
0: Mm. Yeah, Obviously, you had a sense of how like your will to survive is was greater than the like, for lack of a better word, itty bitty shitty committee in your head, and you reached out to people, I'm wondering, like, what did it take for you to are you just by nature, somebody who is a connector? Or did you have to break out of isolation and break out of sort of more introverted tendencies, and to claim that worthiness to be like, I deserve to reach out to these people, my life is worth it. Like, what did it take to be able to be like, I'm going to create a list of people. I'm going to have people who are going to be my allies. They're going to be in my corner.
1: Well, it didn't come naturally. And that was a tool that I learned, um, you know, getting sober. Mm -hmm. You have to create a network of like-minded people and reach out. So that was ingrained. And then once I learned about clinical depression the hard way, and I'll save that for another conversation, I knew when I was in that space and I had a young son going through this experience. So that also motivated me to get help. Mm -hmm. So I had him in the forefront of my heart as well. And I had very good friends surrounding me. And I, I mean, as a sensitive you're one that can listen intuitive and people feel good. Just being in our, energy and right. surrounding. So I had some goodwill <laughs> come my way. <laughs> and my friends were all willing, so willing to step up, especially when, I parsed it out. So they were only responsible for one day of the week, maybe picking up the call if it came in, you
0: know. That is such a brilliant approach, I have to say. I mean, I've I've been on the other side of it where I've been the person who's like getting a phone call every single day for somebody who is in crisis. And it's exhausting at that point in time when somebody is just has not spread it out. I mean, you keep on speaking about for, I'm assuming we're talking about the program and, you know, 12 step programs. And just I'm thinking about how, you know, some of the tools within it, the idea of learning to make phone calls, learning to reach out to people, learning to be in community. I mean, I personally think that. 12 step programs is one of the biggest forms of magic on the entire planet. And it's the greatest secret that, you know, it's like, there's so much magic. There's so much healing. There's so much remarkable grace and power in it because it is about community and it is about not trying to do this all on your own. So I really hear how much that contributed. And
1: it did contribute. And if I felt that I was going to. Lapse back into the old addict. I would run to one of those twelve-step meetings, and it doesn't matter what a it's got behind it. Yeah, but I'm going to say something that may be heretical. As I doubt it to (laughs) be. As an empath, I don't believe the twelve-step programs are designed for one that is an empath. And Mm -hmm. I will just say that. When I point a finger out and that spiritual axiom says three come back at me, and it's one of the the teachings of taking responsibility for your actions, that can be a big booby trap for someone who is highly empathic.
0: Well, and especially if you've been in, I mean... I mean, there's so many interesting dynamics. This is a whole other conversation. But there's so many interesting dynamics between sort of like the narcissistic male alcoholic. (laughs) And some of the ways that I mean, I think that the program originally came out of men who needed like one of the things I've seen in the program. And especially like, I mean, my personal relationship started with sugar addiction, not alcohol. And what I've seen is that The program was created for people who needed to be like a lot of times males who needed to be knocked down a peg that they needed to that the grandiosity and the the way in which they're drinking like they needed to have some humility Women, on the other hand, and empaths in particular, usually have an abundance of humility. And the low self-esteem is so great that what we need is a bit of upliftment, not getting like, you know, sort of broken down to the point where you're like admitting what what a lowly worm you are. And so I hear you. I mean, I don't know if that's, but I think I've definitely seen that. It's like what empaths need and what women often need is more of a building up. And within the traditions of the program, especially like classic AA, there's a lot of breaking down that goes on and a lot of sort of like, you know, like, yeah, you're, you know, I mean, like the language stinking thinking. And, you know, there's a saying, you know, it's like when you assume you make an ass out of you and me, like a lot of that kind of stuff is all designed to kind of take you down. So I totally hear you. I don't know if what I'm saying is resonating or is is reflecting what you were talking about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And and I did want to be very careful because yeah. I have great love for those programs and they saved my life. saved
0: mine too. Mad props, mad props. And I have friends who are still active within the program. And it is still, I mean, it is a life changing lifesaver. I'm I'm married to. I'm married to um, a psychotherapist who's done a lot of work with people with addiction as well. And, um, you know, and we've had numerous conversations about the fact that for some people, the program is great and is really like life changing. For some of us, it is a stop along the way that then allows us to find resources that are more in tune with and fit us better. And... You know, and that it's not all one size fits all. Every, you know, it's, it's, it works great for some people. It doesn't work great for other people.
1: Yeah. I just don't want to discourage anyone in any way that may be thinking of taking that route. Jump, dive in.
0: Please dive in. Well, and the thing is, like, you know, I mean, I'm imagining you were in program and using the meetings for a period of time where you had to really get your bearings underneath you and kind of get your moorings and, and be okay. Um, and then once you got to a place where you were okay, you could start looking at alternative ways to get support. But what I'm hearing is I'm hearing two things here. One is that you committed, you used it to get you sober. You used it to learn about being an ACOA. You used it to learn how these things to like, get the strength to develop the, to develop the habits of asking for help and support. But then the other thing is, You didn't just go off after you did it for a while and totally turn into self-will run riot. You didn't just be like, I'm going to go off on my own now. I'm going to go rogue. You were like, I am still going to get support. I am still going to commit to doing the work. I am still going to find people who can help me even more. So instead of it being like you did this and then you quit it and you went back on your own, what I hear is you did it. You used it as much as you could. And then, when you knew you needed more, you found more. And I think that's the really big difference is like some of us use a program as a jumping off point that then allows us to grow into an even deeper level of healing. And that I think is the distinction. It's not, you know, it really is like the bottom line is if you got this work to do, get support. Absolutely. Well said, Jen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we are. Getting right to that point where we've got that, like, we're just shy of that 10 minute mark that I always give you guys a heads up about. And I'm just so I'm just like thinking like, what else? What feels like the most, you know, what are the most important things to talk about here that you want to be sure we cover?
1: Well, I just want to really impart how grateful I am for the conversation you're creating around empaths, because I did not completely understand it until really fairly recently. And I was so isolated. I just so wanted home. And I couldn't find it here. And I just gave up. I thought I'm just not cut out for authentic connection with others. Mm. And Mm. then I understood what it was like once I connected into that community and understood my gifts, my abilities, my capabilities on a deeper level. And so I just want to encourage everyone to continue to explore those gifts and welcome them and then shine them bright so it attracts others who may still be a little tarnished in that department and just dusting off the jewel.
0: Yeah, I want to pull something out that in you know, that is has been in the conversation as well, which is that and that I write a lot about it in my book empathic mastery. Um, but is, you know, if you're and and it's funny, because you were talking about how you saw this therapist way back, and he started talking to you about your dad's alcoholism, and talking to you about but your own alcoholism. And you're like, what the hell does this have to do with anything? Like, What do you mean? What's this? Why are you worried about me drinking in the evening? And in my experience, like this is the thing that because we live in a culture where addiction is so baked in and where there's so much denial about it, a lot of times I think people don't realize how profoundly their relationship to either a substance or a behavior is impacting them. And what comes to my mind in everything, one of the biggest takeaways I'm getting from this conversation is, uh, in addition to really being aware of all of the stuff, the baggage, like the bag of cement that we're carrying from our ancestors, is also look at your relationship with substances, like look at, you know, like how, you know, what's your relationship with alcohol, like what's your relationship with sugar, like, what is your relationship with, you know, cigarettes or drugs or binge watching television or gambling or sex or any of these things. And that I really hear in this, like, the the whole journey really started for you with the willingness to be sober. And it seems to me that that is a question that if everything if, if you're like, It's almost like if your life is not working and you're not sure why, look at what you're doing to self-soothe. So that just was something that I'm thinking in hearing you that really feels like, yeah, this is a piece of this conversation that feels really important to hold up.
1: Yeah. And that and that continued on. Yeah. You know, it continued on even even with the endurance sport. Even with the need to have, you know, some male figure giving me approval, which was from Billy Fritz in second grade on the playground, straight through to my guru of an ex-husband who really taught me Mm -hmm. the reverse of that, that I am a powerful being, that I do deserve to stand upright that I do have value and worth, and then connected me in with that beautiful inner child that I shunned. I mean, I remember 25 years old in Alice Miller's healing the inner child or drama of the gifted child, excuse me, yeah. just yeah. came out. And I, uh, yeah, I, I did inner child work, but oh, you know, I just felt like it was so saccharine and not for me. And now I just—I don't want a stupid teddy bear. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but I so deeply and profoundly see that that is the piece of soul I brought here with me and is so luscious today.
0: So this actually is the absolute perfect segue because... Since you've listened to episodes, you know what comes next. We go time travel because I really, I sincerely believe that podcasts have this way of working. They're, they're outside of time. They exist way in the future. And I believe we can broadcast messages backwards that we can use this like we are broadcasting something and not only are we broadcasting it into the future, but we're sending messages back. And so what I love to do is to take a moment or two, two or more to really send a message back to the part of us, the part of you that really needs to hear something important. And so my question to you is twofold. First off, you know, when and who, what part of yourself, who, when are you sending a message back to? And what does she need to hear? What are you going to tell her? My message is to to
1: little Susie, that inner being within me, that little light. And I want her to know that I know that she is worthy, that she has value, that she has purpose, and she is heard. Hmm. I acknowledge you and I appreciate you and I recognize your superhuman ability. Thank you for walking with me.
0: You are worthy. You are value. You have value. Thank you. Okay. So we're coming to that point in the conversation where we talk about how do we get in touch with you? Oh,
1: please be in touch if you feel driven. I hate this digital cacophony of all this Raining down and take my webinar and yeah yeah I'll give it to you for (laughs) it's exhausting and
0: And I think I honestly think it's really exhausting for empaths because we can smell insincerity like sixteen miles like like a million a million miles away and so much of the hype and the hustle is just oh it's exhausting yeah
1: that's why I really appreciated your conversation with Jessica recently. Um, It was really tremendous. But if you feel drawn, I'm at susangold.us. And recently, I I took down the one-on-one coaching, the blah, blah, blah. I took it all down. If you want to have a chat, you can, there's a toggle. You just, our chat, you get in touch with me. We schedule a nice conversation, no strings attached. And it does not come from a place of lack of self-worth or I have no need. I do, but I'm going to trust the universe that the right people are going to be drawn to me for conversation and thereby.
0: Mm, Thank you. I I just recorded a, a TikTok just the other day talking about like just pushing the river and how it just anytime we try to force an outcome because we are desperate or we're in a place of like, we think this is what we want it just never works particularly well and when we surrender and trust that the right aligned people are going to find their way to us it is so much better so SusanGold.us, gold dot us us wonderful any last words before we uh we we wrap up yes it's
1: been a privilege to be in your energy And that of your, that of your listeners, there is bright and beautiful and aware and bringing so much to this earth plane. So I only have thanks and gratitude, Jen.
0: Oh, Susan, thank you so much. Thank you. And I just really want to thank you for your candor, for your honesty, for sharing about the, you know, given the, like really giving us the true, true. And sharing about the dark underbelly, sharing about the possibility, sharing about the hope, but also shining a light on the shadow and helping us to remember that even the gnarliest stuff is ultimately really a gift. This has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. So you guys reach out to if you are like, if this conversation has resonated for you, reach out to Susan, check in with her letter, tell her I sent you. (laughs) Thank you so much for being with us. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And Thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.